design for me is the best way of articulating and solving problems. And the biggest problem in my mind is how do we make our world stay around? You know, how do we look after our planet in a sustainable way? How do we make business sustainable and circular? Um, and for me, yeah, design is, is a key to unlock that complexity. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Hannah Thomas, working at Fjord in London on driving impact through business design, especially in the area of sustainability and circular economy. Hannah leverages her experience at Accenture and her background in business and combines it with design methods, principles, processes and tools to apply business and service design to drive things forward in the consulting space. We also try to create transparency when it comes to the difference of business and service design in general and how to apply it in the context of making businesses more sustainable. Enjoy. Hi Hannah, how are you doing? I'm really well, how are you? Good, good. I'm quite excited to, to talk to you. Um, you did a super interesting article on Medium, touching on the intersection of you know, service design and circular economy and sustainability, which I found super interesting. Thank you. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and uh, But maybe to give a little bit of context to the audience, maybe you can share a little bit of your background and journey. Yeah, sure. So um, I was thinking about this. How did I end up in design um, and actually the honest answer is that it was a bit of an accident <laughs> so my story starts back when I um, finished uni and I think like lots of people didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do um, mm -hmm. I definitely had a collection of things that I was interested in and a collection of different um, motivations desires things I wanted to achieve but that hadn't really formed into a clear vision of yeah, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer or anything, anything remotely yeah. helpful like that. Um, so I decided to work for a big management consultancy firm. So I decided to take a role with Accenture um, mm -hmm. for the idea. The, the idea behind that was to experience a lot of different industries. Um, I knew that I was brought up to kind of distrust big business. So I was brought up in a family that were very um, alternative, you might say, very kind of, essentially they were just a bunch of hippies. Um, and big business and working in the city were definitely things that I didn't think I'd ever do. But mm -hmm. I had this motivation and desire somehow to do good. So how can I make businesses who have so much power and influence actually do things that are really, really good for people mm -hmm. and for the environment, considering they have such a big impact in that area? Mm -hmm. So I decided to, rather than criticize from the outside and blame things on big business and corporates, etc., um, I decided to understand a little bit more about what it is to work for one and to understand how they work, um, what kind of work goes on, how clients interact with them, etc., etc., um, and, and what does the world of, of big business look like. And the best way to do that, I think, is just to jump straight in and work for, for a massive company um, like Accenture, who work for many, many different clients across every industry you can think of. Um, mm -hmm. So I did a couple of years working for them and um, I felt that I wasn't fully able to 
exercise, the um, more creative side of what I wanted to do. And I actually stumbled across working with Fjord, who are owned by Accenture, mm-hmm. and very quickly realized that the kind of work they were doing in service design um, really, for the first time, helped me articulate all of the things that I enjoyed doing in one kind of discipline, if you like. So mm-hmm. my brain is quite strategic, but I am love creative things. I like expressing myself with creativity. I like messy problems that eventually become very logical. Um, I like to process lots of information at once. And I really like to put that thinking into something positive. And I found that design was the best expression of this problem solving that I'd ever come across. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. So I, it was love at first sight, if if you if you like. I started working with Fjord and I, I suddenly loved coming to work every single day and f- could really articulate how I wanted to solve problems and the methodology behind service design just makes a lot of sense to me. I find it very logical. Um, and I found business design through that, which works very closely um, alongside the, th- the service design methodology, but is mm-hmm. the kind of very strategic underpinning of a lot of the work that we do um, and, you know, a lot of kind of value quantification and and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I I came into design through that. And what has happened is that I've realised design for me is the best way of articulating um, and solving problems. And the biggest problem in my mind is how do we make our world stay around you know how do we look after our planet mm-hmm. in a sustainable way how do we make business sustainable and circular um etc and i believe that service design is a really great way for us to think about these problems this multitude of problems that are so diverse and different there's so many angles you can look at this from human environmental etc um mm-hmm. and for me yeah design is is a key to unlock that complexity so that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you basically got uh, to know design and service design through the interaction with Ford from the essential side, right? Yes. Because I, yeah. I assume you probably heard the term design or the discipline before, right? But maybe it didn't have the right impression to you just later on when you were interacting with it, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that service design as a discipline was not something I was um, completely, yeah, fully aware of before um working for Accenture and but it, but it, what what I found so interesting about it was that it was the first time that I stumbled across something that was the way that I had been solving problems before so it was it was very similar to the way that I would map out issues and mm-hmm. try to get my head around big complex things um and this was someone you know this is me coming across wow this is actually a real thing mm-hmm. like this is something that is a very well established discipline for solving problems and it just helped me to learn so much more within a context that really really works for me mm-hmm. the way my brain works yeah Makes a lot of sense. Um, so, how do you see your role in the design process? You know, coming from a service design perspective and uh, more of uh, you know, you're not designer by yeah. training. So, I wonder how is your role in the design process? Yeah. So, so I would thinking about um, the role of service design. I think I've um, articulated that a little bit. I think it's an amazing problem solving, um, problem understanding, and unpacking tool. Um, but my actual role is yeah. um, I am a business designer. So. Business designers are, um, I think there are many different um, kind of opinions and definitions of business design across the industry. Mm. Um, But 
I think that matters less, kind of pinning down exactly what it is. I think it attracts people with a real variety, a very wide variety of different skills and different backgrounds. Um, and in my opinion, what it is, is it's a strategic um, design focus. It is um, helpful for translating design into the language of business. So moving far, far beyond this idea of design being something that makes something look nice or it makes something um, work mm-hmm. better. Actually, design and service design is so yeah. much more um, wide-reaching than that. And I think that um, business design can be a really great way of bringing this um, quite respected, sort of understandable, relatable language um, into the business. So the business can see that there's a side of design that is really considering their needs um, alongside the user's needs as well. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think my role is is a is a bit like a translator. So I'll work to understand mm-hmm. the strategic needs of the business and the what what is the business problem that they're facing and where is the um, fear or the stagnation or the disconnect with customers, any of that. Where is that coming from? Um, and then working as a, a you know a, an equal member of a full service design team, I think we bring um, that kind yeah. of strategic focus um that helps augment and improve um a a user a user focused lens to kind of consider the user but then also the viability and feasibility um of ideas alongside their desirability if you like Mm -hmm. maybe you could um i think the service design and business is very intertwined but maybe you could explain in simple words for the audience what 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 would be your differentiation between service design and business design Oh, so the difference between service design and business design, I think, is less about mindset and more about role on a project, mm-hmm. um, certainly in the fjord world. Yeah. So I actually think that the mindset of those two roles is very similar. Mm-hmm. And service designers often have all the skills that business designers do and business designers have many of the skills that service designers do as well. So in terms of skill set, I would put us very similar because, every you know, I've met service designers and business designers with virtually the same skill set mm-hmm. on a project. So practically, when it comes down to who is doing what and how we work together, I would say that um, service designers would be responsible for drawing out that experience and working out what the experience for the user might be. Mm-hmm. The business designer will be helping alongside that to do that and considering what the business implications of every stage of this experience might be. Mm-hmm. They will be trying to quantify the value for the business at every stage and to try to make sure that whatever experience or product recommendations are being generated are business viable as well as being um, desirable and viable for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Probably similar mindset and skill set. I think with a business designer, you need to have a more of a, I think uh, it's very good to have more of a business yes. uh, skill set also. Yeah. Uh, but the applications are different. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so how do you contribute to the, the f- final solution with your um, business analytical background? I'm just wondering a little bit about your tools and are you the only person in the fort? team working on this or bringing this perspective where you have multiple people? Yeah, so the way that we work at at Fjord, um, I'm definitely not the only one. So we have a team of business designers. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a team of every discipline, but the business design team has between five and nine people in it, depending on hiring fluctuations Mm -hmm. um, across all levels. So we have uh, leads right down to interns, um, 
and the responsibility and kind of the contribution to solutions will be different depending on the person and their skill set and depending on their level. Um, so the way our staffing works is is quite nice. We really are um, quite cognizant of people's individual skills as well as what their title might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people are multidisciplinary. Some people are just known for being very good at um, value propositions or frameworks or anything like that. But I'd say in general, a business designer contributes to a project or a solution um, with a little bit of what I mentioned before. So a hand in the strategic direction mm-hmm. um, as part as, as every member of a service design team does. They are play a, um, an equal part in that. And then when there'll be a lot of communication with the client about priorities, there'll be a lot of senior stakeholder interviews to understand what the business perspective or business lens is on the problems or the issues as they see them. We're often called upon to quantify the value of design as well. Um, mm-hmm. So we create a lot of frameworks. We do um, so prioritization frameworks and we'll be prioritizing solutions or um, components of ideas against viability, feasibility, desirability lenses. Uh, we might create a scoring system for that. We very often generate um, business models, um, high level or more detailed business casing. Um, it's a lot about working out the right direction um, based on value and based on um, return on investment, etc. Mm-hmm. So we don't do traditionally at Fjord, the very hardcore business casing, um, but we do all have a knowledge of, of how to understand that and how to interpret that into a design language that helps propel a solution forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you did a great article on uh, sustainability and we can talk, talk, we can talk a little bit about the intersection of what you just explained about the process and uh, sustainability. Uh, but uh, yeah. maybe up front, I'm just wondering a little bit, where does your, uh, maybe what's the story about your passion about this topic? Yeah, so um, I think this is something that before it had a label of, of sustainability or anything like that, I think I actually owe it to my parents and probably the way that I was brought up to kind of understand. Um, I was definitely brought up in a family that was very in touch with the outdoors. We did a lot of um, camping and uh, growing our own vegetables and my parents are yoga teachers. So kind of all the cliches that you might expect of someone who um, loves sustainability yeah. and um, the environment and believes very very strongly that it that it's something that we as human beings have a real responsibility to um protect and to and to kind of uh look after for future generations so i think my passion definitely comes from my family from the way that i was brought Mm -hmm. up um from my my dad um he was an incredible campaigner for this kind of thing my mum uh currently lives in an eco house and she runs a shared housing project and she um, builds bricks out of recycled plastic to build things in her allotment. She's opening a packaging-free shop. You know, I, I definitely come from a background of people who this is just very much part of my uh, narrative, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my parents were very clear to raise me in a way to understand that it's a massive privilege that I even have the time or the space to think about this kind of stuff because I'm not trying to feed myself, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think... I, the way I like to look at this is like actually it's a very privileged lens to be able to take and how do we make sure that anything that we're thinking about um, 
solution wise in the West is not denying everybody else who hasn't had the chance to consume at the massive level that we have. Um, you know, totally it, understand. Uh, what do you what do you do about kind of yeah growing economies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we can't just impose solutions as as you know the wealthy Western countries. I think that's just ridiculous. So yeah, my my passion for it comes from a love for people and society and doing the right thing and being a good citizen. Um, and uh, a lot of those things. And I think working in the industry that I work in now, which gives me a lot of tools and food for thought around how we might help business who play such a key role in in generating a lot of, of this waste and, and overconsumption and et cetera, yeah. but also could play such a great role in influencing consumers to behave differently. How can we use some of those tools um, to bring into the sustainability thinking? And I think the marriage of that passion that I've always had mm-hmm. and the role that I do now, I, I find that it's bringing me a lot of um, joy and, and kind of space to explore these ideas. I think that service design gives you a great tool set to explore how we might unpack some of these problems a little bit more so yeah definitely from my family and now really supported by my job mm-hmm. um you know it's, it's, it's really enabling me to think about this quite a lot yeah this is super cool did you did your parents transition into this or um, did they do this already when they were you know starting out yeah so my my parents actually both of them um definitely found a more um, sustainable, holistic, organic, whatever you want to call it, way of life later in their lives. Mm-hmm. So um, my dad was actually, as a young man, um, into racing cars. He ended up working, um, owning a few body shops um, in Nottingham, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And he ran a few of these stores and it started getting him thinking about a different way of life, uh, more natural ingredients. I think that was the starting point for him and he actually changed careers. So he was an engineer um, and then switched careers at about 35 to become um, a full movement therapist. So he created this own, his patented um, method, which essentially was fixing people's bodies and then um, a bit like physio and an osteopath kind of mixed into one and then prescribing yoga as a long-term kind of life fixing solution um and he was a really really inspirational guy and i think um he definitely didn't wasn't born into we were born into an here my grandparents were in the army so mm-hmm. wasn't born into a family that were that were kind of super concerned with this sort of thing he definitely found it um later in life and the same with my mum. and together they um met at, at 30 or 35 and um had us quite late in their lives but they uh i have a, an older brother and sister who who kind of came before as well and I think all of us um, are interested in some degree in, in this kind of stuff, but definitely not kind of from birth. It was something that um, for my parents, they came across in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wondering about because you know, the, the discussions you know, back then were you know, very different and the, the topic wasn't so big like it is now, right? Definitely. Uh, so that was just a little... Yeah, and I don't think it was, it was talked about in this... Yeah, I don't think it was talked about in the same vocabulary at all. Um, I think it was much more about organic ingredients yeah. and natural methods and, and that kind of thing. I, I'm not so sure that um, sustainability was as, as talked about. Yeah. Well, I know that it wasn't as talked about back then and, and certainly not in those, those words. Yeah, because nowadays the discussions, um, it's often that, you know, uh, from generations, you know, young generations have a very different view on these topics than uh, often older generations. You can, there was just recently a vote in Germany where the Green Party actually was the strongest one among uh, people uh, yeah, younger than uh, 25 and 30. So uh, there's a generational perspective which is very interesting. Yeah, I think, and I think that was really interesting about my parents that actually um, 
their ideas um, certainly now my, my dad actually passed away a few years ago but my mum her way of thinking now is, is certainly not of her generation mm. uh, she's very um, young in the way that she, she thinks I think and as, as how many of her friends and, and lots of people in my family but I, I definitely think that her mindset doesn't maybe fit the traditional um, baby boomer generation that she she is from. Mm -hmm. Maybe before we jump more into the sustainability topic, can you explain what is circular economy maybe for the audience in, in simple terms? Yeah, certainly. So the circular economy is essentially um, a very different way of doing um, almost everything that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. So most of what we consume... Uh, use, eat, uh, use for transportation, etc., etc. Most of the uh, things that create our society are all based on a linear model. Um, so that means taking some resources from wherever, so from the ground, um, from the animals, from the sea, from forests, wherever we're taking these resources, wood, oil, um, metal, etc., taking those resources, making something out of it. So whether that's an iPhone, a loaf of bread, mm -hmm. a washing machine, whatever, we take something, uh, consumers buy that product, they use it, um, and then they throw it away or they generate some kind of waste. And that's sort of the end of it. Um, and there are some examples of, okay, maybe you might give your iPhone to a secondhand shop or whatever, but ultimately um, it ends up being waste. So what the circular economy is, is it's a way of almost changing every part of this um, resource procurement and production and consumption cycle that we go through um, uh, into, into a cycle rather than into this line that ends up with waste. So for example, you might take um, some cotton and you might turn it into a pair of trousers, which may then be bought and worn by someone and then they might get repaired rather than being thrown away. Yeah. And then eventually when the person doesn't want them anymore, they might be sent to a secondhand shop and someone else will use them. And then rather than them being thrown away or sent to landfill, actually that material may be remanufactured into the stuffing for a car seat. And that car will have been assembled from parts that were a previously another car. Um, so it's this idea that actually everything that we use and everything that we consume has more than one. So it has many, many life cycles. Um, so something that we use when we throw it away, actually, we're not throwing it away. We are passing it on to its next life cycle. Uh, and it's this idea that we don't need to keep taking raw materials from the earth, using a lot of energy and wasting a lot of energy, generating them into something that we can use or consume, and then throwing them away and leaking this huge amount of energy and resource from the supply chain. Actually, we can gather back this energy and this valuable resource to make it into something else um, and stop ourselves having to make things out of new things, um, which is very damaging and polluting to the earth. Um, as we know so the urgency around thinking about this is that actually we're reaching a point where resources are becoming more and more scarce they're going to become more and more expensive and this is due to a massive massive population increase um, and huge levels of consumption that are dictated by industry and have become normal for us it's become very normal to um, go out and buy a plastic water bottle a few times a day potentially if you you haven't thought about how you might transport some water around with you or we're very used to buying meals and disposing of the packaging very quickly um, everything is on demand everything is easy to get and we're not super conscious about where it's come from and where it's going when we finished using it um, 
So the urgency around a growing population who will increasingly consume more and more and more is that actually we're already using over a planet and a half's worth of resources. And if we continue at that rate, we simply do not have enough to sustain the human beings that we have on the planet. And there are are projections that talk about in 2050, if we continue at this rate, we'll be using four planets worth of resources. Mm. And I think it's clear to everyone that we do not have four planets. So where is this stuff going to come from? And I think you can think about all the social issues that come across this. So the wealthy people are probably more likely to have access to this, all these resources that will still be around. So we're thinking about then water shortage, food shortages, wars, all these kind of social conflicts that can happen when there isn't enough to go around, there isn't enough to look after everyone. Um, and climate change is a huge driver um, here as well. So, you know, climate change as the collection of negative impacts that happen um, due to increased CO2 levels, increased methane levels, um, you know, the impact of human behaviour on our ecosystems, on our weather systems, etc. We are creating an impact that is so negative and so damaging that if it's not halted very, very quickly um, and also reversed, Mm -hmm. uh, we are potentially going to tip our planet into a free fall of dangerous consequences that we we can't entirely predict um and again as i mentioned it's not just about saving the planet there are a huge number of social issues that will come from um negative climate change um you know the climate crisis will will generate a lot of negative impacts for quite likely those people who are the most vulnerable to start with so we're talking about sea level rise we're talking about um mass destruction of land um desertification all these really terrible things that will happen um to people all over the globe and all of us i believe have a collective responsibility to do something about it especially those of us in these countries that are the highest consumers and the highest polluters Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important to make the distinction what is actually circular economy i was recently in new york on also sustainability and design uh, panel and I was uh, talking to one of the experts there and uh, we were talking about the Adidas sneakers um, um, and um, yeah, I was asking him like how what mm. is he thinking about it and he was saying yeah it's a, it's a great effort but he will just buy the second generation because just from the second generation it's going to be actually circular and if they recycle the first generation and you know, often people don't make that uh, these distinctions definitely okay. um, so you know Obviously, I'm wondering now about the role of design when it comes to sustainability. Maybe you could outline uh, this a little bit. Yeah, so I think that um, sustainability or um, kind of a a transition towards a more um, circular economy, which is just one kind of method or um, way of thinking that can help us achieve sustainability. You know, sustainability as the umbrella term. There are um, many, many different angles to that. But I think that um, because it is such a complex idea um, and has all these many different potential channels um, and lots of different industries may have a different way of thinking about it. I think that design, as I mentioned before, is is a really powerful tool to start unpacking this challenge and laying it out in a clear and digestible way that actually means that more and more people can collaborate with each other and can see where the opportunities are for them. Um, I think that different industries have different roles to play in in a transition towards a circular economy, in trying to be more sustainable. And actually what design can do is unify and demystify and um, problem solve in this, in this uh, arena. And I think that 
the circular economy, for example, you could you could say that it is a design challenge. It's mm-hmm. everything is up for a redesign, yeah. and how do we how do we think about redesigning everything? Yeah. We need to completely change the way that we consume, the way that we think about consumption. It goes so much further than that as well. It's a societal thing. It's a you know does our economic model really support um, sustainable consumption? I would argue no. So what you know what if we're we're looking at businesses who talk about growth? Well, continued growth in the traditional sense of using more, selling more, gaining more customers, how can that also be sustainable? So I think design and business design and service design is a really fantastic way to help businesses understand all of these challenges and translate them into a context that makes sense for them, see what their role in in a a circular economy or a move towards a more circular way of doing things might be, um, and how they can cross collaborate, how they can take advantage of um, waste or of of other areas that may make them a new source of revenue that is much less damaging than their um, traditional one. It's it's that kind of thing. And I think that, yeah, as I said, design is an essential um, tool and an engine to help Mm-hmm. unpack and understand all of these challenges. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more about the unique contribution designer can make to this. From my perspective, uh, I think design can really bring a unique contribution when it comes to the human perspective and the people perspective into the solutions that uh, get developed, right? So when we talk about, for example, behavioral design or coming actually, you know, really looking at the touch points and how to mm-hmm. uh, change them or, you know, create, for example, friction into uh, in interaction. Um, you know, very often as think when it comes to sustainability you know people very often look for this one major activity they are doing you know, but it's very often also to the small behaviors you're doing the small habits and you know i think the topic of for example habit design and you know designing interactions as well on the physical side as well on the as well as on the digital side this is a different perspective to you know the business perspective on on this and also technology perspective or the engineering perspective on this i think you know design has a comes from the user and you know brings the the user perspective into this and i think there's a lot to do on not just the the major topics but also the small topics they add up mm. and could have the same impact like uh, a major activity yeah i, I completely agree um so if we think about service design then and, and what I think might be that that unique contribution there, you mentioned um, business and technology and design. Actually, what I see, certainly in the way that we um, we tackle problems um, as a service design uh, agency, it, it's very much to look at all three of those things and more. So I think that service design has a, a really amazing ability to understand the business context, yeah. translate it into a technology context, and also to consider this really, really essential human desirability lens. So sometimes what is missing in some of the thinking around how do we be more sustainable, um, I, I think that sometimes the narrative around it can be quite negative or quite critical of business for being polluting or for making these problems. And a lot of it needs to be about changing the the kind of... Um, the way that we do things um, because it's all bad and it's it's kind of creating this waste, etc. Which is absolutely true, but it's it's very difficult to kind of have conversations with 
um, with big business about that if it's all just loaded with this negative concept and I think actually it becomes very intimidating when you look at all of the problems and all of the pollution factors that any one business might be generating it, it's really really difficult to even know where to start you know if you're if you're looking at um, the resources that you're using the waste and you know the energy that you're consuming the energy that you're wasting the water that you're consuming and wasting etc etc you know you it's it's um, many 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 different factors and I think for me, service design is a fantastic problem-solving tool that will help understand all of these areas. We're very used to kind of mapping out solutions by unpicking all the little areas, all of the strands that come off, um, where this touches the business, where this touches the user, where this interacts with technology, understanding the key pain points, digesting them, and then actually creating solutions and ideas um, that consider the desirability, the convenience, the usability for the user. And I do believe that sometimes in um, solutions that are made that help the consumer be more sustainable um, or behave in a more sustainable way, I'm not sure that um, behavior and desirability is always factored in the best that it could be. It often involves a real sacrifice for the user or a sacrifice for the consumer. You know, don't buy this, don't buy that, don't do this, don't do that. And actually, ultimately, if this is going to be adopted on mass scale, we need to think about behavior and um, we need to think about usability and desirability for the mass market. Mm-hmm. Where people probably will not ever um, you know, make a sacrifice on convenience. Convenience is, is key for many, many different groups of people for many different reasons. Yeah. And in, in order, I think design can play a huge role in working out what these solutions are that are sustainable and that are potentially more circular, but really do bring in this usability, desirability, convenience, uh, user-centered language and um, construct so that we are creating something that is truly adoptable, that will truly drive behavioral change, not just, okay, I'm going to boycott this, I'm not going to buy this. All of that is essential. It's, you know, that kind of mindset to to not buy things to make consumer choice it's all really really essential to kickstart the movement and really to make business listen um, and the individual plays such a vital role in that but i do believe that the the responsibility the weight of responsibility for the waste that we're generating etc cetera, etc cetera, should not be solely burdened on the end user it's business that needs to take a huge responsibility in shaping and changing the way that we consume um you know rather than just swapping out plastic straws for paper straws that's a fantastic solution for now but actually why do we need straws you know of course there are many cases in which people do actually need to use straws for accessibility reasons um you know people with disabilities etc etc so we need to think about all of those contexts but we it's just a small example of how we need to think about how we consume not just the materials that we're consuming you know it goes much deeper and i think that's where service design can bring in this really great angle of you know behavioral change and desirability alongside thinking about making things sustainable yeah i really like what you are saying can you talk a little bit about the prototyping process when uh, going into this yeah you know how do you validate you know the touch points you came up with you know maybe the friction you created Um, also talk a little bit about maybe usability and user feedback yeah so so generally um I, i think a lot of the the kind of um tools that we use in this area translate really nicely into sustainability context actually and i don't think so what i think is amazing about service design is that we we probably wouldn't um do anything differently uh, if we were testing things um in a sustainability context but so to answer your question um how do we prototype and how do we kind of think about um testing and usability 
prototyping mm-hmm. or validating you know, i think a general yeah and validating things for sure um mm-hmm. prototyping i think you should do it as early as possible as lo-fi as possible so mock something up and, and we do this with um you know, A3 paper, uh, we'll draw up some wireframes, we'll test it with people, we will make little cards that look like screens, we will um, make a paper prototype, essentially, of, of anything that we're trying to create, put it in front of users as soon as possible, whether that is our fellow designers, whether it's people from the wider business, whether it's um, users that we invite into um uh, into you know do kind of traditional user testing who are um, from a certain market segment or whatever we'll do a lot of that um, very very early on and then and then iterate on that quite quickly uh, again if it's a digital product we're thinking about how do we mock up a basic screen how do we test for where people are clicking what they're interested in um, and that kind of thing and I think validating these things always comes back to having a strong set of, of KPIs right at the beginning. So what is it that you're actually looking for? Uh, what is it that you're actually trying to test and trying to prove? And trying to keep that quite narrow and quite um, measurable, if you like. You know, not kind of setting up something that um, you you can't measure or is really hard to prove. Really trying to kind of narrow that down to something very tangible, very clear, um, that you're, the whole team is very clear on when you're prototyping. What is it that we're trying to get out of this? Um, and actually then also being kind of receptive to other ideas or other feedback that you get from users that doesn't fall into any of those categories that you were trying to test for. Um, because I think that can also give you really valuable insights about a way that people might be using something that you didn't expect or a way that they might be um, interacting or um, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Can you give concrete examples maybe from a project in the past where you did this kind of you know, prototyping? Yeah. Um, say we were tasked with... Um, a, a website or um, a set of digital services that are not gaining very much traction um, and users are going elsewhere to other competitors. So how might we think about um, revamping that or understanding what the problem is? So if we were doing something like that, we may very mm-hmm. early on just get the existing, so we call it the as is, so the existing um, site or app or whatever it is in front of users and just let them use it, give them a few tasks to complete on it, get their live feedback of, okay, well, this is really frustrating. This is taking me ages. Um, I don't understand why I can't click on X, Y, Z or whatever. We would be quite carefully recording all of that uh, to understand where the initial problems might be, making a series of recommendations, creating new new wireframes or very, very quickly mocking up a different version of a site or an app or whatever. Um, again, testing that, uh, getting additional round of feedback, and it would sort of operate like that. So, a, an iterative process that gets more and more recommendations, ideas, and, and that can actually be done quite quickly, um, and then result in um, a series of recommendations, changes, additional features, etc. That we might um, quickly mock up, or we might just give the list to a client and kind of understand if any of them are um, hitting their desires, if they're kind of fitting in with what they might like to see, um, if it's revealing anything that they weren't aware of. Uh, quite often it's just a playback of this is what your users actually think, which is really, really helpful for diagnosing that kind of problem. And prototyping in that is absolutely essential. You know, you can't um, you can't really get real feedback. You can't just explain an idea to someone and hope that they get it. It needs to be, it's very different 
to um, saying, mm-hmm. yes, that sounds like a good idea. And actually, I will use this and this is how I will use it. Mm-hmm. For me, this, uh, these uh, tools don't really um, differ, for example, to uh, um, in other service design project. Do we have any, for example, unique topics around, for example, that you just do a topic that has a goal for you know, creating a more sustainable solution that you would just do in this kind of project? Yeah, and I, and I, th- I think actually that's the key message is that a lot of the methods that we use within service design can be so easily translated into a sustainability context. It's not that we're having to do something completely different. Um, and I guess for me, that's where it's really exciting mm-hmm. is that um, if you think about um, design thinking yeah. or um, service design or any of those kind of disciplines that use these methods of discovering, um, ideating, developing, iterating, that kind of thing. I think that actually understanding things in a sustainability context, yes, you need to change the way that you frame it. You need to use um, slightly different lenses. So for example, you might uh, create a inputs and outputs map, um, which would be, okay, here's a service or here's a product. What's everything that's going into creating it? What's everything that's coming out? Let's try and map the entire supply chain. We may do that um, with a specific uh, focus on trying to understand where all the opportunities to make something more sustainable or more circular or to evaluate where the waste um, value is leaking out of this supply chain. But ultimately, it's the same method that we would use to create Mm -hmm. an experience uh, map or an as-is journey of a current customer journey. It's, It's a life, it's a product journey, it's a life cycle. It's the same method that we would be using to collect that information and likely to present it as well and to understand it. Um, the focus would just be different. So the focus might be, let's take this particular product that this company is um, developing and let's map it end to end. Let's work out how it got there, where it's going next, how it's made, etc., etc. Um, but again, it's it's the same thing that we would do if we were looking at uh, a user's journey from thinking about, uh, you know, redoing their um, garden right through to finishing creating a new garden you know it's, it's the same it's the same uh, process mm-hmm, absolutely the reason i'm asking is because if you look at you know different design disciplines um, you know service design is you know really looking at the really big picture you know, one of the uh, design yes, disciplines yes. that has this really big holistic view on things and you know maybe you can apply tools there the same way uh, when, it's, when it comes to sustainability then you know other projects but if you look for example on fashion design if you look at mm-hmm. product design mm. um, or packaging design right these have to learn certain tools and certain methods also that are really applied just for sust- for the sustainable context um, yes. you know I was recently talking um, to um, in London there's a program starting up about you know bio design so you know their designers you know, people from architecture and product design learning how to work with biology and for example um, use new materials uh, in their in the processes so I think um, it's very you know it really differs to the design disciplines the more um, narrow more detailed I think uh, the more you have to learn actually new tools to apply great more sustainable results I think this is very interesting yeah for sure do you see any difference when it comes to b2c and b2b when you know talking about these uh, projects when it comes to sustainability yeah um i think there is a difference um b2b and b2c i think that it's a little bit uh like um what i mentioned earlier so um b2c there are some different considerations around um desirability and convenience and usability and, and that kind of thing um 
I think that I don't think that they don't exist in a B2B context. I think they do. Um, but there is also a little bit what you like what you were um, just mentioning about uh, the different languages or different tools that different industries will need to learn to be able to understand the sustainability context. Um, actually, if we're going to think about B2B collaboration, um, it will it will be quite difficult, I think, initially in lots of different layers of friction for um, industries and businesses that have different sustainability uh, focuses or different kind of key drivers. And how do you kind of come together to understand an ecosystem in which one business can work well with another business? You know, what, what does a framework for helping B2B connect the right businesses to the, you know, to, to help um, maximize waste or um, optimize, um, you know, optimize what they're both doing together, optimize supply chains, whatever, whatever that is. Um, and I think, again, this is added challenge of there are so many different layers and so many different factors to sustainability and each business will need to understand what that means um, for them and um, and kind of translate that, um, especially if they're kind of doing um, B2B interaction and then with their with their customers, um, B2C, again, we need to think about um, what is important for our consumers, what drives true behavioral change, what the motivations are. Um, so there, there's some crossover, you know, B2B, the businesses will have different motivations, different goals, etc. And so will consumers. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think there is a difference in how you might approach the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of impact, would it be more on the B2B or more on the B2C side? As it from a designer perspective, that's what I'm... I think that there could be... I'm not, I'm not sure whether I would, would say which one would have a a bigger impact i think ultimately um if you think about cons- the individual business governments all these different angles that will need to come together if anything is going to truly stick and truly change in a in a in a sustainability context in a transition to a more circular economy they're all going to have to end up working together quite um quite clearly but i i do think that um maybe for me in a design uh, space the the b2b challenge is is particularly interesting um because you're looking at and you're we're already seeing a context in which businesses are expanding and thinking about the challenges that face human beings and they are expanding out of their traditional uh, remit and um i think as a, a kind of design challenge to think about you know what they must be thinking about from a from a kind of design perspective um how are they reading the context of um consumer needs if you think about in a sustainability context so increasingly consumers are interested in this kind of thing they're wanting to consciously um, purchase things that might be better for the environment uh, less damaging etc etc i think we're seeing consumers demand a more holistic approach to um, being good or being good for the planet and good for society from businesses and actually it's a very interesting um, thing that is happening which you're seeing more and more businesses straying into areas that they didn't stray into before. So businesses taking a perspective on wellness or taking a perspective on um, how, you know, what does uh, sustainability mean for mobility and and all these kind of things. So I think that um, the B2B challenge there and linking up and solving a problem holistically like mobility, for example, um, seeing businesses join up and, and work that out and play in a space that they've not played in before 
potentially with probably with the goal of actually attracting more users, um, but maybe a sideline of actually it is more sustainable or we're helping to solve an additional problem. I think the B2B design challenge is is really, really fascinating and um really probably more complex mm -hmm. yeah i think these perspectives you just bring up there are also matching with the ones you have in your medium article which we will link in the description of the podcast also um you were saying you know often you know, people uh, put the focus on the consumer but there's a lot on the business side uh, you can do you were just talking about earlier about convenience and about uh, these topics maybe you can do a quick summary of the perspectives you shared in your medium article when it comes to this topic yeah so i think that um the the, the topic that i'm exploring a little bit there is is probably an introduction to some ideas that um i'd, I'd really plan to and i'm writing um sort of further unpacking of um, and I think there's a lot of stuff being written about this at the minute but I guess a key um, message that that I try to explore in the article is certainly about this idea of removing too much blame or um, responsibility from the end user to perform things like recycling um, and um, choosing really consciously where they do their shopping. As I mentioned before, I do think that all of these things are absolutely vital, um, but we there's no way that we can recycle our way out of a waste problem. We are creating mm -hmm. far too much waste to be ever be able to recycle it fast enough. And recycling is a very energy intensive process. It is not the most efficient way in the kind of butterfly loop of the circular economy. It's the, the most outer loop. Um, because it you know it really isn't the best option yeah. it's remanufacture and reuse and repair that we kind of want to think about um first and I, i just think that um from a consumer perspective from an individual perspective the infrastructure that is needed to be truly circular is not there at the minute um we can recycle we can consciously consume we can choose to repair our clothes there are lots and lots of things we can do on an individual basis which is absolutely vital but to make mass change to kind of force the change really I think that business plays a huge role and has a really really huge responsibility as the ones who are driving this um desire you know that driving the accessibility to fast fashion and to uh, disposable goods etc etc it's always there it's always cheap you know this is a something that's um quite difficult to escape and alongside yeah. that giant consuming uh, wasteful footprint i do think that there's a responsibility for them to really really think about what that means and i'm really hoping in the years to come and i think that we're seeing it already um we're certainly seeing consumers making choices that are making businesses listen because ultimately if they're going to lose market share or relevance um or um brand um you know brand loyalty based on their actions in the sustainability context and in a social impact context as well you know if they are not seen to be responsible it is already starting to have an impact i really hope that that's a growing impact and that it's the business case becomes absolutely irrefutable for them to change um, i think that it's coming i think you can see big brands making big differences and really seeing the results mm -hmm. but it hopefully i'm hoping that it's a snowball effect that keeps going and obviously that's driven by consumers so that's why their role is so vital um but this guilt and this weight of responsibility that is put on consumers 
is really, I think, driving a lot of um, unhappiness and fear and apathy because there's so much that needs to be done. It seems so, so difficult. Uh, you know, I'm trying to put my recycling bins out on time and I now find out that only, you know, X amount of recycling is ever actually recycled. No. It can be quite demoralizing. Mm. So I think that there's this governmental um, and in business kind of industry focus that absolutely needs to kick in um, to support a properly sustainable um, society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this perspective you're just bringing up there is super interesting. I really can recommend the audience to have a look at the Medium article you wrote. Um, is there, you have any advice uh, for designers to sell this um, viewpoint, you know, generally speaking, um, to business and technology? Maybe not just your viewpoint, but also generally speaking, uh, a more sustainable, more sustainable approach. Um, any advice on that side? Yeah, so I think that um, within the context of, of what I'm working on as a designer, as part of a design company, um, it is is the it's the biggest challenge. It's, it's how do we sell this yeah. um, to clients? How do we make this the only way um, to, to do something? And then that's that's going to need to be translating it into a business context very very clearly. So yeah. um, I would suggest that, you know something that we're finding is is working well for us and also um, is being received quite well is is to move away from um, too much stress or emphasis on blame or the problems or or kind of anything like that it's likely that the businesses are aware of that it's actually translating it into a context of opportunity a context of um mm -hmm. you know it, it, it is it's a context of opportunity so it's it's talking about staying relevant it's talking about future proofing against uh lack, lack of resources against energy shortages against potential carbon taxing all this kind of stuff it's about getting yourself ready for a world in which this is a real challenge and it will become absolutely paramount it will become increasingly more important to governments etc etc to consumers so actually as a business what can you do to make sure that you're ready for that and to remain relevant and to have a voice in the industry that actually attracts more and more consumers to you um, it's talking about ultimately cost saving. So what it often is, is a, is a, an outlay of money now, uh, you mm. know, an investment now in order to save money in the future to Return move away from resources that might become exactly, you know, we need to, we need to put it in this language. Mm -hmm. So I think that bringing this context into any conversation is vitally important and really talking about it as a trailblazing, exciting opportunity for businesses to be different, to be sustainable, to be um, ethical, to really kind of have a very respected voice in the industry. So I think there's there's that. I think that um, something that, you know, on a really kind of practical level has really worked is to ask a lot of questions. I think that having a set of questions, a go-to set of questions on every project that you're working on or every client context or whatever, um, ask these questions and don't be afraid to ask them. If you can't ask them to the client, you need to be asking them to the design lead or whoever is running that mm -hmm. project. Um, you know, what are we doing about X, Y, Z? What about this? What about that? You know, even if we can't answer those questions, it needs to be part of the um, conversation. It needs to be brought to the table. I, I, it's very unlikely that anyone will throw it straight back on your face and say, we don't care about the environment. It's just that it may not be number one on the agenda. So if you can bring it, to every single agenda by raising in every meeting, making sure that it's considered in every context, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you become a broken record, but it's it's really helpful. It does change mindsets. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that 
if you think about a design student, so if you are a student of design and you're kind of frustrated around not, not kind of having access to this kind of understanding or whatever, I think that they're fighting to be taught this and fighting to have relevance. Um, and, you know, to, it touches every single area of design. So fighting to understand this, to work out what it is, to get the answer for yourself, to explore, to research, whatever. There are, there are so many perspectives and so many people talking about this now. I think the access to that information is really um, clear and, and it's much easier. And so I think arming yourself with this thinking as an essential backbone to everything that you do will be really, really helpful. Like I can't see a world in which this will, ne will ever cease to be very, very important and hopefully one day absolutely integral um, and, you know, almost we don't need to talk about it as a context because actually we're just doing it in everything that we do, you know, fingers crossed one day. Um, and yeah, and I think the final point would probably be, I think we need to lose our ego about this. So you see a lot of people coming up with great ideas um, and whatever. If we keep these ideas to ourselves and we don't share them and make them open source and encourage people to break them and build on them and make something better, then actually as a collective of human beings, we're gonna slow our progress towards something that is a very time pressured issue. If we can all share and talk about it and be open and you know say, these are my ideas, what about your ideas and all that kind of stuff, I think we'll drive towards something a lot better, a lot faster um, by by being open and sharing and keeping that conversation mm -hmm. going. Yeah, I think the, the topic you were bringing up there also about the language, I think is very interesting. When I was in New York, there was one talk from a presenter sharing, he, for example, sells sustainability, he's an architect, and then sells it by telling people about you know, building healthier houses. Because if the, the houses are built healthier for the, um, the people who are living in there, uh, that has implication on the materials and so on. And it ultimately makes it uh, more you know eco-friendly um, so you know he's you know and then there were a lot of he brought up a lot of other examples you know like how to rephrase the uh, per the wording uh, but actually creating a more sustainable result but you know don't set it up front because often also the thing the wording is stigmatized yeah I completely agree I think it needs to be you, you take the business problem what is that problem that business is facing is it losing relevance with its users is it um, you know huge uh, margin squeeze is it struggling to be fully digital what, whatever that is take that problem um, and answer that problem but just translate it in a sustainable context we, we can't go in trying to slap sustainability over the top of stuff, it won't work. That's what ends up being greenwashing. It needs to be a fundamental part of a business solution that we're kind of prescribing or designing or creating. Um, I certainly believe in that as an approach um, and is certainly what we're we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to ask earlier, are there any other disciplines um, you work with, very often design disciplines? I mean, often, often, obviously you work with a lot of stakeholders and other disciplines, but specifically design disciplines you collaborate a lot with, for example, is it industrial design? Is it packaging design? Is it interface user experience design? Um, well, I think within, within our studio we have... Um, a traditional kind of set of design, but we also have a, an increasing um, number of, of new disciplines that are coming in as part of our fundamental kind of core team. So we, we have service design, business design, visual design, interaction design, uh, research design, creative technology, and we're, we're now, um, we now have data design, we have motion design, um, we have kind of lots of these new areas that we're, we're starting to think about. And I think that 
product design is something that we increasingly want to kind of move more and more towards. Um, and we have people within our um, studio who have architecture qualifications and industrial design qualifications, um, graphic design, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that um, what's nice about it is that it, it's a real kind of collection of lots of skills. Um, and we, we tend to, if it's, if it's a skill that looks like it's coming up um, as being increasingly more and more important, we, we really do try to kind of bring it in-house, if you like. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting about this is that, you know, maybe from a service perspective, you come up with a certain touch point with the user that, you know, could be very beneficial, for example, to create a more sustainable result. But that would have been have to be explored, executed, you know, for example, by an industrial designer, right? But you come at, you come up with the touch points from a service design perspective. And I think this, you know, collaboration then, Absolutely. you know, I think it's very interesting, you know, coming from a service design perspective, but maybe apply a different design discipline to execute a, a sustainable um, um, execution now. absolutely yeah the way the way i like to articulate it is that service design would create the map <laughs> um and then we would hand over the, di- the different parts of the map to really put the fine tuning on the route to to the to the experts to the fashion designers to the product designers the industrial designers whatever they would execute the final solution it's the service designers who make the map yeah this is <laughs> this is a very interesting metaphor yeah I think, you know, designers are, you know, very driven, you know, very often very driven to drive positive change, to, you know, drive impact. Maybe as a last question, what would be your advice to, you know, young designers who want to make a positive change in this world, you know, especially regarding sustainability? Um, I think I think it's it's very similar to, to some of the things that I that I just mentioned. I think it bring it into every conversation. Um upskill yourself, so understand and outside of your discipline as well. So if, if there's something else that you're interested in, so product design, uh, material, resources, packaging, anything that you, you think might add, a, you know, an additional layer to your own understanding to, you know, to really help flesh out this um, kind of knowledge that you have. Also getting really, really comfortable with collaboration and with handing off ideas to other people who do have those skills, um, kind of creating really impactful networks of people who have lots of different skills who can work together to create something um something really really cool uh, i think i think that's a really really positive um one as well but high level i would definitely say keep driving the conversation and and from a really genuine angle so i think it needs to be nothing to do with um furthering your own career or anything like that Ch- chase that learning go after it learn as much as you can none of us ever stop learning i think it, and if you're not learning it it's not it's not valuable so keep keep learning everything that you can and keep those conversations going keep the collaboration um just just bring it up into every possible angle and i think anything that we can create as designers that makes it easier to understand for others as well is always valuable so can we create a set of methods can we create a set of rules guidelines you know for your discipline what about you know what does it mean for visual design what does it mean for interaction design that kind of thing if, if you can bring that into a context that means that other designers who might not have the time or the inclination to go and you know fight for all the knowledge that you've managed to create in your head be, be kind and, and share this stuff like create I, cool things that people can use and reuse that make access to this stuff universal and easy and digestible and, and, and that kind of thing. I think that anyone who's interested and passionate, sh- you know, it's, it's awesome if they can take it on themselves to 
um, to facilitate that learning and that change for everyone and make it mass market rather than niche for people who you know just love it and read about it all the time. Mm -hmm. I think this is a great final perspective on this topic. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. Thank you. No, it was um, an honor to, to chat to you. Thanks. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website.